Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. A um, few things I have to say. One is we personally are involved both as a lifestyle, a ketogenic diet, but also through my 16 years of clinical practice of what is effective. What do people need to take sometimes, all the time, to support their ketogenic diet? You'll get bits and pieces of this ongoing week after week. It's important to be comprehensive. In one way, it's simple. and one way, it's a little bit complicated. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back for another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I'm going to do something different. I'm neither going to interview somebody nor give you sort of at-length research on something or, or, or other. I have a number of topics lined up. And for those who've been following through this journey of discovering the different applications of the ketogenic diet on a kind of very general level and also on a metabolic signal, signaling level, which is pretty much the research which is currently being discovered around the world, today we're going to do something a little bit different. I've never quite gone in this direction because I wanted to avoid it. But here's the deal. As a idea as a concept becomes popular, it also creates, I sort of say, uh, I don't mean to say it creates enemies, but it creates a lot of resistance. And so the resistance can be quantified in the media. So there's different kinds of media. So there's the written media, there's the visual media, the, the YouTube, the TV, advertisements and all that. There's uh, certainly the podcasting media and so forth. So keto obviously has jumped in out of the blue since 1915, 1915, 2015 in terms of conferences. And now there's conferences hither and yon, all good to go to for the most part. Uh, I like the ones that are less commercially um, insulting you with project uh, with product after product after product of vendors. But vendors, having vendors available is the way you can defray the cost of the conference and therefore make it affordable to the average person. So I understand why they're required, but sometimes I think uh, there ought to be a little more connection between the concept of the conference and the vendors that are uh, in your way on the hallway. But, so there's that. So anyways, a lot has changed, certainly since 2015, and certainly a lot has changed since the beginning of, I would say, the Charlie Foundation was the last huge node inflection point in terms of information through Jim Abrams and his son Charlie being epileptic and the Nightline story. And we've covered that a couple times. So that was another turning point a little about 25 years ago now. So that's the recent past. But today, about the resistance that's happening in the media, I want to be pretty specific that I, I so get tired, even among my colleagues that are naturopathic doctors that are pretty well educated. I mean, I knew them in school and I knew who was the brightest in the various classes and who really did the work, you know. Uh, and so I respect those people and I know their careers now. But there's a lot of resistance, even in the naturopathic field. A lot, there's resistance. I don't know about a lot. In the naturopathic field, certainly in the more conventional MD field about ketogenic diet. I don't know why. Um, it's like most prejudices. It usually comes out of uh, an uneducated, uh, unexperienced perspective. Having said that, there's also plenty of MDs and uh, plenty of NDs, naturopathic doctors, that are using this as a therapy. It's hugely important in so many different aspects. And that's why we need all these podcasts. You go through one little piece at a time and you make it digestible and understandable to us average folks out there that need to make sure that 
One, they're just doing it to be healthy, or maybe they have a very specific condition. Okay, staying on track. So what am I talking about today? All right, there was an article that was sent to me by a colleague of mine, um, an MD, a medical doc, as they say, and um, she had agreed that it was pretty much crap, but it came from a pretty established media, a medical media called MedPage Today. Uh, Kevin MD is a speaker's and a social media leading physician's voice and so on and so forth, so it's very popular. It's uh, along the lines of Medscape and WebMD. And so the name of this particular article, in essence blog, that was written by a medical doctor, uh, Shimba Joshi, who, in my view, is a total shill now. A shill means you are uh, purposely representing false information for a particular financial gain. That's my definition of a shill. You can check your funk and wagnalls or something a little more specific. So the name of the article is Efficient's Warning on the Ketogenic Diet. I am going to go through this little by little and say what I disagree about it. And I think it's important at some point if you become a acolyte of the ketogenic diet, you become your own believer in the ketogenic diet, that you take your stand at some point. You learn to walk away from fools, that's for sure. You know, you're not a you know you're not there to to serve people and be their librarian when they disagree on something stupid. But for people who have a sincere question and value your time, then by all means step up and go to bat and point them in the direction of information. Don't be the information for them because uh, if they're not going to do the work to really learn what they're talking about or or what is the good, the, the incredible value of the ketogenic diet, then it's never going to happen. Take it from me and a physician. When patients come in, if they're not open to new information, nothing's going to change in their life. That's just a truism. And uh, as much as we're all bleeding hearts at some part of our soul, some souls are completely bleeding hearts. That's a tad naive to be that way 100%, but there's a portion of that person in all of us that we need to, uh, we want to help nearly everybody we meet in some aspect. That's a, that's a good thing about being human, but just spend your attention wisely, you know, put your seed into good soil, so to say. Don't waste it on the rocky soil. So we're going to go through this article. So I'm going to read through some of it and uh, I won't be profane. I don't think I ever have been, but I think this is right up there. This kind of shilling of pretentious medical blogging so boils my blood that I just want to take it on. I might even do a blog about this. So here we go. It says, a ketogenic diet gives a brief history. Ketogenic diet recently garnered fame for its apparent ability to improve diabetes and obesity Results so impressive that the Journal of the American Medical Association recently highlighted the diet and thereby christened it as something more than a low-carb craze. However, not all the evidence supports such a positive outlook, leading the diet to straddle the increasingly blurred lines between fattest snake oil and sanctified medical therapy. Oof, strong words, eh? For starters, the keto diet is not new. Nearly a century old prior to I mean, keto diet, Pretty much correct. 1921. Remember that we talked about that before. Mayo Clinic, Dr. Wilder and Peterman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Nearly a century ago, prior to the discovery of insulin by Frederick Banting and Charles Best, that's up at University of Toronto. We talked about that. A fascinating period of the early 20s. 
The keto or the ketogenic diet was used as a crude way to stave off high blood sugar levels, which was then inevitably fatal. By foregoing carbohydrates, the body utilizes fat, either stored or consumed, as its main energy source without raising blood sugar levels. In the process, ketones are produced and thus giving the diet its name. I'll accept that. That was a pretty trim, compressed uh, history of the ketogenic diet. We know that it's much more complicated and uh, and has a lot of wonderful applications. Here's the part that I'm disagreeing with coming up. By avoiding carbohydrates altogether, blood sugar levels do not spike, but the underlying glucose resistance may still be present. Oh, really? Although some small randomized studies show improvement with the diet, a larger meta-analysis of diabetic patients on either the ketogenic diet or a high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet for more than one year showed no difference in hemoglobin 1AC or glycemic levels between the two diets. First of all, that's not true, and I'm going to show you why that's not true. Here's the little summary of that paragraph. Therefore, if the diet produces no results in difference than a high-carb diet, low-fat diet, high-carb, low-fat diet, then what about its effects on weight loss? Ah, so what we just read, what we just listened to, was a presentation of fake information printed out to make it seem true. So here's, I'm going to give you right now something to say, well, here's where you can go find the truth. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to list 15 studies, though I could, actually 20. I'm going to say go to Verta Health, V-I-R-T-A Health, one word, dot com, because Verta Health, I've talked to them, I think I've referred to them in nearly every podcast that's connected with University of Indiana. Sami Inklin founded it, and he brought on Jeff Folick and Steve Finney, and I'm hoping you know both those names. They've written books in the keto field since uh, the early 200s. Dr. Volek, Jeff, is at Ohio State, and there's a huge conference coming up in August, which will be great to attend. And uh, Steve Finney was out of Stanford, and now they both work together at Verda Health. So they did a huge study uh, with diabetics, and they had uh, coaching. I don't know if it was daily coaching, but then overseen by uh, medical supervisors. And in the course of the year, they measured what were the difference. You know, what were the difference in their glucose levels, their hemoglobin 1AC, of course, uh, their weight, and a number of markers. So it, it went on and on and on. And there's actually more, as they finish their second year, there's going to be even more information. And the difference between genders of men and female, you know, what was the difference there? And premenopausal and postmenopausal. So the amount of information that's going to come out is going to be huge. The amount of information that did come out is huge. So I just happen to be at my laptop right now. And of course, I uh, opened up that page. So you go to vertahealth.com, then go to there's, they have topics, so reversing type 2 diabetes, an evidence-based guide to type 2 diabetes reversal options. And you can, we're going to get into that in a second. At the top of the page, you can also go into the research papers there, how it works and so on. So they're about as open book as you possibly can imagine. I'll give you some summary points that I know off the top of my head, and we'll drill down to a little bit of this. So why am I going so overboard to refute the second paragraph in this particular person's blog of a well of a high media conventional medicine blog because i it, i just detest the lack of conscience the the overt deceitfulness to write false information 
in a quote-unquote professional manner. They do it in journals and so on and so forth. Even Pfizer got caught ghostwriting. And, and, I mean, so it happens. So I'm not naive enough to think that, no, it doesn't happen, nor it will ever happen. But I think there's a point, if you know something's not true, you have to say, that is not true, and this is why it is not true, and this is where you can go to find the truth, or at least the alternative version of the reality, right? So I'm offering you the alternative version of the reality as I see it and as I have learned it, okay? Or one of the places I've learned it. Okay, so here we are in uh, VertiHealth. You have your reference, and uh, let's just scoot. To, so off the top of the, off the, off the cuff, uh, some of the changes is a summary of well over 1,000. I think it was 1,100 patients that were type 2 diabetics, and many of them were heavy. The average patient of that many people. So when you have that many people, that's significant. If you have any sort of conclusions uh, of data that has changed in a group that large, that's significant. It's not an N of one. It's an N of 1,100, we'll say. I think it's 1,055. So they all, the average ketone level was 0.6. I know it's not high. Certainly not the numbers that I've had. I've had a lot higher than that. But it's such a huge number. And when you deal with that many people in a study, you the question that is buried in all this is who complied and who did not comply? And what degree of compliance did they exert? You know, Did they pay attention to anything? Did they just stay in the study and not do anything? So they would still be in the study. So they would be one of those. So you have high compliance people and low compliance people. That's the background. That's what happens. That's just life. The reason I say that is they still got wonderful numbers and wonderful changes on everybody. So 0.6 it means everybody was technically in ketosis, pretty low ketosis, but they were all in ketosis. The average person, the average amount of weight loss in over a thousand people was 30 pounds. That's mind-blowing. How many people do you know that are, that are overweight that set out to lose weight in one year and lost at least 30 pounds? Not many, not many. So to have a study of, you know, 1,100 people, diabetics, on all their various medications and so on, to lose weight, that's huge. Okay, so that's the other thing. They all feel vastly reduced. Many of them, I think, and I can look this up, but it's not right in front of me. Uh, most of them got off all their medications. That's a big win. So they lost, uh, they lost a lot of weight. 30 pounds is a lot of weight to me. And most of them got off all their medications and... All those few remaining on medications was uh, not much medications they were left on. Let's scoot down and see just some of these facts that you might want to be aware of. Here's one, and they start off start off at the top. In the U.S., 52% of the adult population is suffering from type two diabetes. Over half of us. It's not obesity. It's type two diabetes. That means that is a metabolic problem. They are type two diabetics. Are concurrently having cardiovascular problems because that is the end result of type 2 diabetes. It's not loss of eyesight. Well, that's actually a cardiovascular retinal neuropathy. It is not amputation of limbs. Those are the results that happen because of the cardiovascular problems that diabetes gives them, results in, creates for them. So that's a big deal. More than half of us in the United States, you know, if this was a small little country and saying half of Iceland, well, that would be a far fewer number. This is a huge number of people. So we have clinical outcomes. So where did they publish this paper that I'm referencing? They uh, published it in 
JMIR diabetes, diabetes therapy, cardiovascular diabetology. They have their data listed here. And so what they show is VERDA, it's results and the usual care. So what does that mean? So in the usual care for diabetes, that their hemoglobin 1AC, here we go, uh, the VERDA patients lower their hemoglobin 1AC by 1.3% on average after one year and improved insulin, improved insulin resistance by, there's a test for insulin resistance called HOMA IR. 60% of the patients attained a hemoglobin 1AC below 6.5, which is the cutoff for diabetes. Decreased glucose by, on an average of that many people, 30%, decreased serum insulin by nearly 40%, and uh, in normal care, by the way, so this is a comparison of left and right. So this is under to make sure you come back to the same page, uh, Verda Health and uh, clinical outcomes. I'm not going to bore you for all these things, but it's just an incredible difference of the results that they have achieved. So when they say that a larger meta-analysis of diabetic patients on either the ketogenic diet or high-carb low-fat diets for more than one year showed no difference, that's a lie. That's a, a very uninformed, uninformed is a euphemism for lying. We have to sort of say uninformed. That's a very uninformed position to take, a.k.a. a lie. Diabetic medications, um, 50% were off their medications. Anyway, so what else? So weight loss, uh, Basically, guess what? There is no weight loss in, in the general diabetic care, but there is weight loss and there is. Um, atherosclerosis, their triglycerides decreased and their HDL went up, which is the opposite of on uh, with usual care for diabetes. Uh, blood pressure went down. Their medication for blood pressure obviously went down. Oh, their, their HSCRP, which is the kind of the ultra-inflammatory marker. When people talk about inflammation, what do they reference? They reference CRP. The HS simply means high sensitivity. So they've had a tremendous fall in inflammation. So on and on and on. I, I hope you look at this, but I, what I hope to get you to come to is a belief that you have to do a little thinking for yourself because not everything we read, certainly not everything online we read, uh, and this is, I wouldn't say this particular article is devoid of financial interest. It obviously has financial interest, but it's not like at the end of the, at the, end of the article, now go buy your fish oil, now go buy your diabetes, diabetes medication over here. Um, it's kind of a little more indirect than that, but it's still somewhat. Let's continue. So what they say is that the diet's initial ability to induce weight loss may non-trivially be related to its ketone production. Since ketones are osmotically active, they can induce a diuretic-like response, causing dieters to lose fluid-related weight. Fluid-related weight only. Yeah, well, especially during the beginning of the diet. Those early results can serve to positively reinforce dieters and may be crucial in deciding whether to continue the diet, particularly in the face of restricted, restrictive dietary options and the malaise associated with the transition dubbed the keto flu. And so um, I'm now in the middle of coaching about 10 people. 
And uh, guess what? None of them have had the coaching, uh, have had the coaching flu. They might have get the coaching flu, but they don't have the keto flu. And so there's ways around that. If you approach it intelligently, not highly, you know, there's nobody's doing anything fancy. Nobody's on any fancy supplements, by the way, that I coach. And heck, they don't even have to be doing C8, which I love, you know. Let's go further. So now it, it, it enumerates all the problems with the keto flu, which GI, cramps, dizziness, fogs, mood disturbance, et cetera. So it's out there. It's uh, Many people say they get this, but I have not, even in our group, I have not met anybody who has the keto flu or has had the keto flu. Long Here's, the, here's another point that it's going to choke me. Long-term weight loss on the keto diet is less mystical than its powers to reduce blood sugar levels. It's the product of devoted calorie restriction. During the zeitgeist of the low-carb craze, which encompassed the Zone, South Beach, Atkins, Paleo, Dukin's diet, researchers found that in all cases, so all of the above, which they are not all the same, and they are not, per my view, low-carb, in all cases, individuals on high-fat, low-carb diets lose weight because they consume fewer calories. You know, that actually is true on the face of it, but the part they missed is that they're not hungry and their metabolism has not dropped down. So if you were to go out and simply strike off 500 calories from your diet because you wanted to lose weight and you're assuming that you have enough weight to lose, guess what? Your metabolism would drop down to compensate for you eating 500 calories fewer than you usually do and you would feel tired and you would feel sluggish. And so your metabolism would slow down to the point that it needs 500 fewer calories, so your net effort would be about zero. So in a ketogenic diet, your BMR, basal metabolic rate, can st- you can choose to stay the same. But when you have the high-fat diet, and we've talked about the different ketogenic diets, right? The classic, the MCT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't drop your appetite. You know, you you eat fewer calories. Actually, you come closer to eating specifically your BMR and even less than your BMR if you have weight to lose. And so on the face of it, that you lose weight by eating fewer calories is correct. But but what they miss is that the hunger has been satiated. You're not eating because you're not hungry. When you eat high carbs, the hunger spikes the glucose, insulin follows, the glucose drops down, you get hungry. And then you eat some more. So a high-carb diet, basically a non-keto diet, we'll say, a high-carb diet is about not only spiking your glucose, this is known, but constantly putting you on a roller coaster of, of being hungry and not being hungry. And then when you have your glucose crashes, you get tired. So that's the difference. This is the little bit of the truth. Many of the studies done regarding weight loss on the keto diet, including several mentioned in JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, conspicuously failed to mention daily calorie intake, raising the diet's panacea-like allure. However, a closer look shows that these diets are not much better than the low-fat diet. Often cited meta-analysis comparing low-carb ketogenic diets to low-fat diets showed a difference in weight loss of less than one kilogram after 12 months. One kilogram, kilograms, 2.2 pounds, a negligible difference. Interesting enough, another more recent meta-analysis showed no differences in resulting in the low-carb or the high-carb diets on weight or blood sugar levels after one year. So that's a patent lie. 
Oh, patent uninformed perspective. Proponents of the keto diet will maintain that it can be used for treatment of obesity and diabetes, but is it safe? Does the risk of taking on a new diet with safety concerns justify a few or more pounds? So did I not tell you that you have a better ratio of your ApoB or Apo1 or your ApoB drops and your concentrated LDC lipoproteins drop and your, where else can we go? I talked to you about the inflammation. Your liver enzymes drop down to normal. Your serum creatinine drop down. Your uric acid drops down into normal range from above normal ranges for diabetics. What other fun things can I point to? But it goes on and on and on. So this paper has been presented many places and it's come out with uh, various, I'll say variations of this paper, meaning using, focusing on different factors they looked at and just talking about that. This came out in 2017. So we expect another one in 20, uh, later 2018, probably towards the end of the year. Let's continue. So I hope you're catching my drift, and I hope this isn't too, it just has to be sort of detailed out for you instead of saying this is a bad article. Uh, it's a bad article, and we're gonna, I, I, and I should call this guy and saying, what the heck were you thinking? Or I should say, who is paying you to write this? So the proponents of the keto diet, as I'm reading now, will maintain that it can be used for the treatment of obesity and diabetes. But is it safe? Just said that. If the diet on... If the diet had another name, it would be called the fat diet. As 70 to 80% of the calories per day come from fat. The only native population eating this much fats were Inuits, who were forced to subsist on blubber at a necessity. I don't know about it. That's where they lived. That was their lifestyle. It's no more than saying the, the Native Americans, the Indians of the northern plains of the plains of the United States were forced to live on buffalo. You know, or no more than saying... Um, the Vikings were forced to exist on fish and whatever they hunted. So I find that a little odd. And perhaps because of the high amount of saturated and trans fats consumed. There's few trans fats consumed, certainly not by the Eskimos. There's trans fats and dairy for sure, not much. Trans fats are primarily a commercial, it's in margarine, hugely in margarine. It's a little bit in dairy, naturally, meaning it's naturally found in dairy. Uh, And because of the high amounts of saturated and trans fats consumed, the Inuit experience, despite popular misconceptions, a higher rate of heart disease, strokes, death compared to non-Inuit and Western populations. I'm laughing at this because we've already talked about the explorer uh, Stefansson, I think it's Villimar, Stefansson, who is Canadian of uh, Icelandic descent. And uh, he ended up working actually up at Dartmouth he was really about six years of exploring the Arctic during, just before and during, just before and after World War One. Pretty fascinating times. And so when he came back, uh, he had lived with the Inuits, and so he ate only their blubber and their meat. So he came back and said, "You know, you don't eat eat veggies, and I'll prove it." So he and his partner forgot his partner's name. They both decided for a year to document, to check in at a hospital, so they could see what they had been eating. First, they stayed a couple of weeks in the hospital to make sure these guys were all their systems and they did their blood work on them and so on. Kidney function, liver function, obviously glucose, insulin, and all that was fine. So they could go home, but they would come back daily to be documented. And so for a year, they ate this way and everything was fine. So, um, and then they continued after that to eat that way. So 
when people talk about, I'll just jump into, is like when people talk about zero carb, how can that possibly exist? Well, it already has existed in many cultures. Uh, it doesn't have to be. One doesn't have to have zero carb, but zero carb can be quite a uh, fulfilling and sufficient diet. So carbs are not necessary. Veggies are not necessary. You don't have to be zero carb. You can be what they call ketogenic or very low carb ketogenic, which is the classic ketogenic diet of 20 carbs per day. But you know, you have essential amino acids, which are eight essential amino acids, that's proteins. You have two essential fats, which are your omega-3s, EPA, DHA, and then omega-6, which is found. So that's interesting that only fats are essential, certain fats are essential. That is, your body can make all the other fats it needs. And certain amino acids, it has to eat, but there are no essential, required, absolutely necessary being redundant for a purpose, carbs. It's only fats and it's only proteins. Okay, so that was about the Inuits and Willemar Stefansson and the fact that he sort of proved by being documented that he and his research buddy that zero carb, that's what they call it today, but a no-carb diet is fine and he lives, he lived fine, lived a long life. And he lived up in Hanover, New Hampshire. I only knew that because uh, that's where I live too. Unfortunately, I didn't know him at the time. So let's pursue a little more with this particular paper. And and I hope this is helping because if you're at all interested in the ketogenic diet, if you are doing this ketogenic diet and looking for support and you're saying, you know, I, I like to get more and more information for why am I feeling better? And that was pretty much my motivation for looking further into the ketogenic diet. Uh, I came away from tremendous loss of health due to a lot of stress in my life my wife having brain cancer, brother having recently died, mother having recently died, and so on and so forth. And this has put me way back on track. I feel like I'm 22 now. So the only native population eating this much fats were the Inuits. And the fact that they had, here's the other, uh, the fact that they had, according to this, had higher rates of heart disease, stroke, death compared to non-Inuit and Western populations, that's also false the high rate of, and they currently have high rates of heart disease and diabetes. That didn't happen until they had switched over to the Western diet. So, so for those Inuits are still eating the native diet or actually going back to the native diet, they won, if they were on the Western diet and had these particular symptoms, it's being, they're, they're reversing their diabetes. For those who never went into the Western diet, they didn't have these particular sicknesses these particular illnesses. So that was also a misrepresentation of what the reality is. He goes, so the opportunity cost of not eating fruits, vegetables, and complex carbohydrates may have also contributed to their heightened risk. Well, that's patently wrong. Absolutely patently wrong. If anything, the Inuits were way ahead of most cultures in terms of their high omega-3s which was one of the essential fatty acids you had to have and has a lot to do with brain health and nerve health. So uh, they had that more than any other. Currently, there is no long-term data on the safety of the ketogenic diet in adults. Keto diet may not be worth pursuing even for diabetics or the obese. If we are mortgaging those diseases for higher rates of heart disease or colon cancer, a possibility given a low amounts of fiber, uh, the possibility is given that a low amounts of fiber consumed on these diets. They're saying all this was due to low fiber. Uh, 
This is also being debunked, the issue of fiber, and I should make a podcast just about fiber, is being challenged. It's one of those, um, I guess I can, I want to say fallacy. It was, uh, it's falsely supported, and they're finding that there, it's not, fiber is not just uh, the uh, soluble and insoluble fiber that is inert and passes through us. Uh, it has a lot of metabolic activity as well, but that people do what I've just res- what I've just told you about. Uh, Stefanson, for one, do fine without fiber. So it's being challenged, but it's an interesting topic, but that's what they're pinning this on. They didn't have fiber, therefore they got sick. We already know that diet has not been without consequence for pediatric patients treated with it for refractory epilepsy, which has been ongoing since the 1920s. And so what they're referring to, that was pretty oblique. What they're referring to, and we talked about this in the history and the evolution of fasting, the ketogenic diet, and the four years that almost changed the history of medicine, and that was that before insulin, so remember I told you how fasting was very popular, up until the formulation of the ketogenic diet, so the idea of the ketogenic diet is 1921, the formulation and um, with repetition of the ketogenic diet was 1924. Uh, insulin was produced 1924, I believe, as well. And so, but before those with type 1 diabetes, that is, they couldn't produce the insulin, what they were put on was <laughs> nearly a complete fast, but it was a, a calorie-reduced ketogenic diet. And the problem was that is, so it, most type 1 diabetics died well within one year. Those on the calorie-restricted uh, ketogenic diet uh, lived to five. So there's a truth that was discovered, but you can't go low-calorie forever with growing uh, kids. So that was the problem there. So then insulin came on and removed that, and off they go. But that was the reference there. That was the dark aspect of the application of the calorie-reduced ketogenic diet. However, that person who was called uh, Dr. Allen, and so it's called the Allen's Diet, was from the, I think it was 19, 1912 to 1924. That was the top therapy given to type 1 diabetic pediatrics. So it's pretty impressive. So right now, that calorie-reduced ketogenic diet is now a cancer diet. What I mean by that, that's the diet that they have. So that's the diet form of the ketogenic diet that they have, then they have various other therapies they add to that. But so that that diet still is in existence for a particular very specific set of patients, of people. From this population, children have developed kidney stones, acidosis, fractures, and stunted growth. And that, that part is true with that population. And so for now, talking about epilepsy, which he has not been more specific about, is that when children have to have chosen or the parents have chosen for them to go to the ketogenic diet because medications did not work. Yep, they are supplemented a little bit, mostly with uh, calcium, magnesium, a few other basic supplements, but it's not extraordinary. Uh, they do get a regular checkup to make sure. they. And one of the problems was, you know, growth problems. Were they getting an, enough protein? So With the liberalization of the ketogenic diet, going from the classic to the MCT, and some can even go to the low glycemic, which is really not a ketogenic diet, 
and to the modified Atkins, they have a lot more, uh, a lot more of the of these issues are are dismissed. But most of the issues were about the type one diabetes on the Allen's diet. Okay, at the more serious end of the spectrum, children on the diet have died from arrhythmias arising from selenium deficiency and pancreatitis. The possibility of these side effects and other possibly others yet to be discovered may tilt the diet out of favor. However, deliberation over the ketogenic diet and other low-carb diet diets is often omitted for the purpose of a near Machiavellian attainment of weight loss or some other health goal. Before embarking on a diet with known adverse effects in children, uncertain long-term safety in adults, and equivocal benefits when compared to other dietary strategies, both patients and physicians alike, would behoove themselves to remember that diabetes and obesity are not a product of ketone deficiency, but the symptom of caloric excess, dietary indiscretion, and tupor. Tupor. Let food be thy medicine, but if it involves a Faustian bargain, so let food be your medicine, but not if it involves a Faustian bargain of your health. What bilk. So I hope I haven't been too strong in this criticism, but I thought that, you know, the world is not peaches and cream in terms of uh, everybody falling in love with the ketogenic diet. I totally give it a hundred percent for my health restoration. Certainly my, my wife's, you know, that, uh, her tumor has not come back. And so we're good. And the changes I've seen in so many other people, it's just unfortunate. It's kind of like politics in this country. You don't know where the truth is because there's so much money in presenting a particular side. You don't know where it got started. It's hard to even trust the news. So um, I felt a little obligated to step forward, so to say, and say, this is not true. So again, there's not a very popular online blogging site called MedPage Today's, which is very, it's one of the places that most MDs that care to read in their off time go to find out well what about this what's the what's the skinny on this what's the skinny on that and so this was a totally bogus highly prejudicial misinformed blog we'll call it called a physician's warning on the keto diet from july 11th 2018 so barely not even a week ago so with that, I'm going to end. I, I hope it was somewhat entertaining. It might have been a little bit tedious, but it was brought, it's a little bit real world. So how do you balance uh, the false information with good information? Uh, the easiest answer to that would be to uh, yeah, listen, listen to my future podcast, but there's plenty of good podcasts out there, and I appreciate that you're listening now. Uh, please keep sending me your questions, and I will drill down, and I will answer them. Promise, promise, promise. But a... Another recommended way to stay current is to go to some of the conferences that are coming up. You heard me talk with Doug uh, Reynolds, who does uh, Low Carb USA. Phenomenal conference, absolutely. And um, these just didn't exist three years ago. And now it's like, seriously, these are like, these are, these are medical conferences on steroids with such great presentations, and they're made in a way that is not so buried into the jargon of medical terminology. It's meant so it's applicable to anybody who's out there. And usually the speakers are very accessible. So uh, they don't, you know, they don't speak on a soapbox. They speak on the same earth that we, we do. And you can talk to them afterwards. You may have to wait in line, but you get to talk to them afterwards. So with that, I'll end for today and ask you for your continued questions. Uh, email me. 
drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com, and we will talk. Thanks for today. Thanks for listening. For anybody who has any questions, feel free to contact me on our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath, same name as our podcast. I'm open to any questions, and we plod through the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy, week after week.